Hi, this is Michael, and you're listening to Soma's podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It's our vision as a church to help as many people come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. This podcast is a vehicle to further that vision. If the content has encouraged you in any way, we'd love to invite you to join us in helping us reach more people with the message of Jesus through this podcast and all that we do as a church. You can help by giving on our website at soma.church. If you're ever in the area on a Sunday, we'd love to host you. For more information about location and service times, you can visit us at soma.church. Church. Enjoy the message. And today we're going to be in the book of Proverbs again. We've been in this wisdom literature series during Soma Summer. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Proverbs 4, verse 7. We're going to be all over the place. If you can't keep up, because we're going to go fast, throw a lot at you, make sure you just kind of write down address. Uh, the addresses that I throw at you. Go and check my homework afterwards, but just spend some time in God's Word. This is Proverbs 4, uh, verse 7. This is our theme verse. It says this, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is this, get some. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Um, God wants it for you, and it's waiting for you. The idea is desire it, run after it, Ask, seek, knock, pursue wisdom. And, and wisdom, this idea of wisdom in the Bible is not more knowledge. It's not knowing a lot of things. It's not more information or, or degrees. None of those things are bad. But wisdom in, biblically is just skilled living. It's applied knowledge. What does God's word say? I apply it to my life. It changes my life. It's when you see someone who's set apart and they, they navigate relationships better than you do, or they navigate finances, personal finances better than you do, or they, they just seem to be an incredible leader or connector of people or parent or whatever. It's like they're set apart in that area. You can have wisdom in multiple areas, and you can, ha- you can lack wisdom in an area while you have a strength in another area. You can have wisdom as a business leader, for example, but lack wisdom in your marriage. And you can have wisdom... When it comes to certain relationships, but maybe you lack wisdom as a parent. And so there's just, it applies to different areas of your life. And there's a growing trend in broader culture and even the church of leaning more on human understanding than we do on God's wisdom. What does God's word say about any particular topic? Because, you know, we just have to get to a place in our faith as we follow Jesus, as we desire more of what God wants for us, uh, that we just check some of the intellectual objections at the door. This is what faith requires. And so people who struggle with all kinds of things in Scripture, I know what God's Word says, but, you know, this is what I want for myself. Or I know what God's Word says, but that doesn't really make sense on paper. Like, for example, people hit me, they're like, listen, come on, Jonah and the well, it's impossible for a guy to get swallowed by a fish and, and be in a fish for three days and then get vomited up on a shore, and I'm like, I am right there with you. I agree. That is impossible. That's crazy. Although, if y'all saw those kayakers that got swallowed by a whale not too long ago, I don't know if y'all saw that and went viral. It was crazy. But anyway, so, uh, but like, it's impossible, but um, so is like everything else in Scripture. It's impossible, but so is like making food come from nowhere. It's impossible, but so is walking on water. It's impossible, but so is like somebody who was blind, and then Jesus spits in his hands, like rubs his hands together, puts it on the dude's eyes, and now he can see it's impossible, but Jesus was dead, and then three days later, he's not dead anymore, which is what our faith requires. And so it's like, hey, listen, if we're going impossible, that's kind of like God's thing. Like biblically, this is what we believe as followers of Jesus. And so here's what Proverbs 26, 12 says. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. 
In the book of Proverbs, there's four different types of people. And we want to talk, I want to just kind of gloss over these before we hit our main thrust today. But four different types of people we see in the book of Proverbs. We've referenced some of this before in previous weeks. But the first one is the simple. The simple. This group of people, it's not that uh, they know the right thing to do and they just choose to do their own thing. They just don't understand. They just didn't know. So for those of you that are new to faith in Jesus, for those of you that are navigating like, hey, I just, have, I just found Christ and I'm making mistakes primarily because I don't know any better. And, and the book of Proverbs attaches the simple, this whole idea of naivety, this whole idea of just lacking understanding, a lot of times to youth and inexperience. And so, you know, when we're younger, we tend to make more mistakes because we don't have the life experience that we have later. Uh, this is the reason why the Bible has a lot to say about those who have more life experience. I'm not going to call it older. I'm just going to say more life experience, okay? Uh, more life experience, just wise and discerning. Why? Because I've been through some things, and I learned things either by applying God's word to my life and trusting him in his word and then experiencing that or not, and I still learned things, right? And so that's what it has to say. The unwise, the simple, because they don't know any better. And uh, Proverbs 7, 7 says this, I saw... Among the simple, and I noticed among them young men, the youth who had no sense. And so I think it's true for my life. There was just some things that I did because I didn't know any better when I was younger. For example, high school, sophomore year, I go to this football camp at NC State University. Really excited. First time I'm going to a camp, going with my friends. Uh, We're staying in a, a dorm, like, right off campus. It's not like... The nasty dorms, it's like a really nice, bougie, private dorm. You know what I mean? So they got us there. Guys are at the pool. We're going to dinner. Only been there 45 minutes. My parents are not even home yet, okay? They give us a lanyard when we check in. It's got a key on it. It's got a card. And I decide, we're just hanging out in the room. I decide it's a good idea to just take it and just spin it around. There's a sprinkler that's just sticking out in the room. So, like, the ceiling comes down, walls out here, and then for whatever reason, it's a terrible design now that I think about it. But it's like there's a sprinkler just hanging off the side, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to wrap this. I'm just going to swing this lanyard around this sprinkler. Why? And so I'm like, I'm just doing it, and then my friend's doing it, and we're like, ha, ha, ha. And then we're, like, throwing our weight on it. I ripped the sprinkler off the wall. I don't know if you've ever done this before. But I ripped the sprinkler off the wall when you do it, by the way. Water comes in the room, and it's not spraying in the room. It is like someone's just holding a fire hose, just holding a fire hose. Also, when it comes out, this is just TMI, but I'm just going to tell you, it's like, black, it's like a chemical, and it's this black stuff that comes out first. You can't see anything. It's spraying real hard. My buddy, my buddy looks at me, and he's like, what are we going to do? And we get outside, and he runs back in the room. I think he's going to get like a laptop or his wallet or something super important. He runs in, grabs his football, and then runs out. It's like, yo. And I'm like, dude, I have all the things to grab. Like, and so uh, we're freaking out. Guy comes who's, who's a counselor. He comes. He's staying in the room beside us. He's like, that's going to leave like three feet of water in your room. You know that? And I'm like, no, actually, this is my first time ripping a sprinkler off the wall. So I go down into the lobby, and I'm like running down the stairs, get down, get to the counter. There's a bunch of people trying to get checked in. I decide to wait my turn. I'm going to be polite. So I'm just waiting, you know, and uh, whole fourth floor is getting flooded while I'm waiting. And, like, I, I get up to the counter, and I'm like, hey, uh, we got a problem. She was like, what's up? And I said, there, the sprinkler in our room, like the sprinkler fell off the, the, the wall. She was like, what? I was like, sprinkler fell off. She was like, what are you talking? I was like, I ripped the sprinkler off the wall, and now our entire room is flooding, and the whole fourth floor is flooding. And she looked at me, and she was like, 
there's no precedent. Like no, like no one has ever been this dumb ever. We don't even have, we don't even have a system to like support how dumb you are right now in this moment. And we, I was looking in the lobby. I'm, I'm walking back. I'm stressed out. They're going to kick me out. They did kick me out. And, uh, but like, I'm stressed out. The, the elevator looks like a water feature. Like there's just water coming down the elevator shaft. True story. And, um, and so anyway, miraculously insurance paid for it. Did not get arrested. I was not trying to do it again. I'm simple. Like, I just like, did not know. Don't twist your lanyard around. You know, next year I go to camp, same camp. They have like a whole, cause I'm that guy. Like who goes back to the same camp anyway? So, but they had like a whole new thing that you have to sign that says, do not tamper with sprinkler heads. And like, I, I added a whole new thing to like their process. It's so awesome. Simple. At marriage, we, we were married, and we had Anna, our oldest. We were young, dumb parents, you know what I mean? Like, really excited, healthy naivety, just, like, really excited, didn't know anything. And uh, we're, you know, it's that moment where they give you the baby to go home. Give us the baby, put it in the car seat. We're, like, they leave. Nurses are walking away, and I'm like, yo, like, y'all not coming with us? Or, like, you know, like, <laughs> they won't trust us with the baby. We go home. Brooke has read every book. Like, baby-wise, all the books. You know, she's, she's read all of them. And I'm just like, just, you know, I'm just, like, I didn't read them all, but, like, I know better, you know. So we get home, and Anna, you know, she feeds Anna, changes Anna, does all the things, lays her down, starts crying. I'm like, don't you touch that, baby. That's how she gets, she'll, she'll start, like, if you do it now, like, she, you know, and I'm thinking that. She's brand new, you know what I mean? But I'm like, I'm like, no, nah, she's messing with us. You know, don't touch her because she's playing games. <laughs> She's like a day old. You know, it's like she's playing games. And, uh, and, and if we start now, it'll just ruin her whole life. You know, she's been crying for 15 minutes. Brooke's like, get this baby. Picks her up, blow out, and I'm like, oh, she hands me the baby. She's like, that's on you. Like, you got that. But, again, simple. I'm making mistakes, but I don't know any better. Proverbs speaks to that. Second type of person is a fool. So the Proverbs has a lot to say about the fool. And the fool's different from the simple. Simple doesn't know any better. Fool knows better. Fool knows what to do and just decides not to do it or knows what not to do and decides I'm going to do it anyway. That's the fool. And so Proverbs 10, 23, a fool finds pleasure in wicked schemes. Like I know what's the right thing. I know what I should do in this moment. I know where I should go, what I should, what I should say, what I should be. I know drinking and driving is probably a bad move. I'm going to do it anyway. I know that, you know, smoking that is probably not going to be good for me. I'm going to do it anyway. I know that, you know, having sex outside of marriage is not God's design for my life. Not, there's consequences attached to it. I'm going to do it anyway. So the fool, it says, finds pleasure in wicked schemes. And because Hebrews affirms, like Hebrews tells us uh, that sinning is enjoyable. And, and if you know people, they're like, no, sinning's not enjoyable. They're doing it wrong. Sinning is enjoyable for a moment, the Bible tells us. This is what Hebrews tells us. For a moment, you get pleasure. But there's huge consequences attached to that pleasure. And so it, it hurts you. A fool finds pleasure in wicked schemes. And God's law, God's rule of life for me and you isn't there for his benefit. He doesn't need it. You do. I do. And he's setting us up for the win. He's like, listen, if you'll do it my way, if you'll follow me, if you'll live in the, in the way of wisdom, uh, you know, good things will happen. I want you to think about all the times in your life where you've made just the dumbest decisions. It's like, think about the moments where you're just like, man, I just, that was dumb. Now think about who you were hanging out with as you made those decisions. 
And so again, a fool would say, I know the right thing to do. I'm just going to do my thing anyway. But also, and we hit this on a previous week, a fool usually is surrounded by more fools. This is Proverbs 13, 20. Walk in the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. And sometimes it takes us hitting rock bottom, takes us just experiencing tragedy in order for God to get a hold of us. So if the anecdote for the simple is, I just, I just didn't know. Now I know. I can apply it to my life, and thank you for telling me, and cool. Like, uh, and, and, but if the anecdote for the fool is, sometimes just you have to have hard things happen in your life in order for you to pay attention. And it's God's mercy when it happens. It doesn't feel like God's mercy, but it's God's mercy when it happens for you to go through hard things because he's revealing to you, hey, this is some things that are just leading you down a path. It's not the path of life. It's a path of destruction. You can't continue in that way. And it's that moment when the Holy Spirit whispers to you like you, you're going a certain direction. The Holy Spirit's like, turn around. Turn around. Repent. Don't do it. Don't say it. Don't smoke it. Don't drink it. Don't drive. Don't stay. Don't stay over. Don't watch it. Don't listen. Don't go there. And you got an opportunity in that moment. Do I choose like to be obedient to what the, the thing that I know that God's asking me to do? Or in my own flesh, do I just kind of press on again like a fool and do what I want to do even though I know the repercussions? And so um, some of us are in a space right now where you're probably, some, I know the room, like you may be navigating tragedy right now. Brokenness in your life right now. Consequences from bad decisions right now. Again, it's God's mercy, and God can leverage the tragedy that you experience in a season, not because he wants you to have that tragedy. Some of us chose that tragedy, but he can leverage that uh, for your good and for his glory. Your God will restore your life and leverage the worst moment in your life in order to serve others. So the, the most broken piece, the most painful thing you've been through becomes a big part of your purpose. And there's um, probably some simple in every single one of us in this room. There's, there's some fool in every single one of us in this room. There's times where I choose to do what, what I think is best rather than what God thinks is best. And there's some times where I just have blind spots. I didn't know any better. But instead of, instead of using this moment as we talk about this today, because here's, here's the risk that we run. You're, you're thinking about the foolish things that maybe the person next to you has done. Right? It's, it's quicker, it's, be, it's easier for us to think about how, how big of a fool, like, oh, man, my spouse is, you know, or like my kids or, you know, my coworkers. A lot of times we're talking about fools, you're like, that doesn't apply to me, that's somebody else. Uh, but it does, and I want you to think about today, like, what are the areas of my life where I know God's asking me to do a thing, but I'm just in my stubbornness not doing the thing that I know God's asking me to do? And, and the Bible tells us, Proverbs tells us, that's the way of the fool. There's a third one, the mocker. So these are just like different levels of dumb. I don't really know how else to call them. But you got simple. It's just like, I didn't know any better. You got the fool who's like, I knew better, but I just chose to do my own thing. The mocker is, I knew better, and I chose to do my own thing. But then I made fun of those who were doing the right thing in that moment. And the book of Proverbs talks about the mocker. One who, uh, instead of going in the way of wisdom, decides to do their own thing, but then make fun, kind of poke at, at those who are decided in doing the right thing. And I know there's been times in my life where I've had people like that in my life. And if I'm being really honest, there's times in my life where I've been that person. And if we're being real, there's times in our lives where we are that individual. And, uh, and it might be small and it might be subtle, but we're there. The person who says, not only do I know the right thing to do and I'm not going to do it, 
I'm going to criticize those who do the right thing. We find this most often in kind of group spaces. Like if you can get in a, in a group, like a team setting at work, and you got those who are, who are criticizing others, or if you're in a group text, a lot of times social media, wherever we could be passive aggressive is where you're going to find it, right? So social media is a great example where you're trying to follow Jesus, you're trying to do the right things, you're trying to, to, to be godly, live a godly, set-apart life, and then you have those people who just kind of like dump on your faithfulness or your obedience to Christ. And then, this is, this is what the Bible tells us, we lack wisdom when we engage it. So we're like, okay, cool. Well, now I got you know, to put you in your place because you said that about me. So now, and then we're back and forth, sometimes on a public platform, and it just embarrasses all of humanity. Like we look, we see it play out. We're like, ooh, don't say that. Don't, like, why are we doing that? Here's what the Bible says, Proverbs 9, 7, and 8. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Some of you are, you're trying to rebuke or correct people who desire no correction. Stop it. It is a waste of your breath, and also it's inviting insult. Do not rebuke mockers. They hate you. <laughs> they will hate you. So, so the more you lean into the conversation with somebody who mocks others, the more fuel to their fire, you're inviting more insult to injury. And, and you're not going to change the mocker with correction. Here's the only breakthrough for someone who, who's mocking others, who's in that headspace. God. That's it. So if the first one, if I'm simple... I just need somebody to show me what I didn't know. If I'm a fool, bad things have to happen sometimes in order for me to, like, get to a place of repentance. If I'm mocking others, like, I'm just so far gone that I'm just, like, my wickedness is now in jest of, like, other people doing the right thing. Uh, man, God's got to get a hold of my heart. So you can intercede for people. You may have family members or friends or people at work, ball team, whatever, who kind of live in this space. Pray for them. Serve them in that way. But definitely don't engage uh, in a back and forth. That's not wisdom. There's the fourth time, a pr- fourth type of person in Proverbs, and it's this. It's the wise. And this isn't the person who is smarter. This isn't the person who has more education. It's not even somebody who understands the Bible better, because you can understand a lot of things about the Bible. You can know a lot of facts about Jesus and not be living set apart, not be wise, have no applied wisdom uh, to your life. Again, it's skillful living. So it's my obedience and, and my desire for godliness, not me knowing things about Scripture. And here's what Proverbs 9 says. This is the wise person. They have a unique quality. Proverbs 9 says this, instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. What's the difference between the simple, between the fool, between the mocker, between the wise? When you teach the wise, they grow wiser. When you teach the wise, they add to their learning. They welcome correction. That's wisdom. Wisdom welcomes correction. Wisdom desires to learn. Wisdom desires to be taught. Wisdom is coachable. And too many of us are self-reliant. We don't want other people to speak into our lives. We don't want other people to speak into our marriage. We don't want other people to speak into our dating relationships. We don't want other people to speak into our finances. We don't want other people to speak into our job. We don't, like, we don't want people to speak into our life until we absolutely need somebody to speak into our life. And wisdom says, bring correction on the front end. Teach me, help me to see what I don't know. Rebuke me up front. That's the way. So to to recap, if I correct the simple, they just don't understand. If I correct the fool, they will ignore you. If I correct the mocker, they'll hate you. And if you correct the wise, they thank you.
was the last time somebody brought correction in your life and you went up to them and you knew you were wrong and you said, thank you. I needed that. I don't have a ton of stories like that, but I got one in particular that hits for me. Is a few years ago, before we even started SOMA, we were at a church that sent us, and um, I was young and excited and uh, real focused on ministry and just like, you know, and, and had gifts and was affirmed and was pretty brazen, like pretty arrogant in my approach, honestly, and uh, was frustrated because I lacked influence in the church and was frustrated because I lacked um, I didn't feel like I had the ear of leadership or people that, you know, who were a part of my team peers and things like that. And uh, I had my direct report, Michael Metcalf, sit me down. And he had been there probably a year. And uh, great conversation, one of my best conversations ever. Sat me down and said, Michael, like, when we're talking through things and we're making plans and we're, like, you know, figuring out where we're going as a church, you got all these ideas. He's like, man, you're right, like, 90, 99% of the time. I'm like let's go, let's go. This is a great meeting. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I agree, you know? And then, and he's like, no, I'm serious. Like you're creative. And he begins to say all these things about me. And he's like, you, you crush all that. And I'm like, yes, I'm glad you see what I see, you know? And then, and then he says, uh, he says, no one cares. Cause your tone and your timing undermines any credibility. Like you, you, no one cares. No one cares if you're right. Because what you do is you wait until you're in the right environment and you flex on the rest of the room by letting them know it was your idea. You're more concerned with getting credit for something than you are with actually accomplishing the mission of what we're trying to accomplish. And your tone is also like really annoying. Like, you know, like he's just like in my face and I'm just like. <laughs> and I get up. I don't know what he thought I was going to do, but I get up and I just go, and I just hug him. And I'm like, thank you. I have never had anybody, and I hadn't up to that point, rebuke me, correct me in that way. And I was like, more of it. And, uh, and I don't have, I've, I've got one of those stories. For every one of those, I got 100 where I didn't listen or I didn't desire. But I'm just telling you, wisdom invites correction. It invites it. You desire to be taught. Proverbs 9, 10 Here's what it talks about when it comes to being corrected or when it comes to being led by God. And again, this is everything. We're going to spend the rest of our time talking about this. Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And the thought is, you know, fear is a bad thing. And because you'll hear people say, you know, if you have fear, if you have anxiety, if you have your worry, that's not of God. And I agree with that. But there's also godly fear. There's also good fear that God gives you. For example, it's Shark Week. And I love the ocean. I'm all about it. Go, go roll around in the ocean. That's great. There's just certain places, uh, South Africa, tip of South Africa, uh, certain parts of Australia. I'm just not going, I'm just not, yeah, I'm not going to get in it. I'm not, I'm not, like I've seen the special great white. I have a really healthy fear and respect some awe uh, for great white sharks. I'm just like, I'm good. It's that moment when you step off the ledge. Let's say you're like 2,000 feet up and you're on the ledge somewhere and you come to the ledge and your body is like, back up, bro. Like, it means you can see everything still, but your body's like, you're going to die. If you like, if you fall off that, it's a healthy fear and reverence of that could kill me. And so 
When the Bible's talking about having a healthy fear of God, it's not saying be scared of God. It's saying, hey, you need to have a right reverence, a right respect. You need to realize who God is. And, and it's just like, man, God, you are awesome. Uh, and so that's what fear looks like. It's an honor and a reverence and a healthy respect for who God is. He's deserving of being worshipped. He's so awesome. Like, it's all of who God is. That's the type of fear. And, it, and then your life aligns with that all. So I'm backing up off the ledge. And if I'm going diving in certain parts of the world, I'm getting a cage around me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, like it's, it's like that type of fear, that type of reverence. So depending on how you grew up in church, maybe you grew up in a space where God was mad at you for everything that you did. Like he was waiting on you to mess up and be like, got you. Maybe that's the type of space that you grew up or the type of thought that you had when it came to God. But Bible tells us he's slow. Like, the Bible tells us he's full of mercy. He's slow to anger. He, he has compassion towards you. There's no one like God who forgives everything that we did wrong. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so, like, this is the God that we serve. He loves you, but he desires more for you sometimes than you want for yourself. And so this is what the fear of the Lord looks like, that moment where, okay, I love Jesus as Savior. Man, I love grace. But Jesus as Lord is going, hey, this is the way of life. Walk in it. Like, you need a right reverence and awe for God. And the fear of the Lord looks like these things. It looks like, man, God, you are awesome. We've already mentioned it, but, man, it's just worshiping him for, for who he is. Psalm 33, 8 says this, Let the whole, wor- the whole world fear the Lord, the whole world fear the Lord, and let everyone stand in awe of him. And this will happen. So you can do it now, this side of eternity, or you can do it later. But everyone will fear the Lord and everyone will stand in awe of him. I'd rather do it now. So, like, I want to be, I I beat, beat everybody to that. When you realize who you are in relationship to who God is, that's what right reverence is. So, really, the moment of your salvation is that moment you realize, man, I need Jesus. I need everything you have to offer me. I am broken. I am a sinner. I need a Savior. And it's that moment. I want you to think back to that moment. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, you're in a relationship with Jesus. It's that moment. But it's not just a moment. It's a lifestyle of every day. I wake up and go, I still need you. Monday, I need to fear the Lord. Guess what? Tuesday, I need to fear the Lord. Wednesday, still need to fear the Lord. Thursday, need to fear the Lord. And the difference between those who are faithful over the long haul, those who, again, apply God's wisdom to their life, are less apt to stumble, less apt to make mistakes, less apt to sin, less apt to struggle, is applying the fear of the Lord to their life. We have heroes, I do anyway, of the faith, people who, and maybe you did, like at a church you grew up in, or people that you knew, like big ministry, kind of big C church. I know we love to celebritize church leaders these days. It's weird, but we do that. And then when they, they fall off the pedestal, that we put them on were so undone because we put them in a place that they really didn't belong in anyway. But, but what happened? Did they stop loving Jesus? No. Fear the Lord. They just lacked fear. And it's a, it's a discipline that we build. It's not like a one-time thing. It's a lifestyle of God. Are you in the right place in my life? Are you in the right position of, uh, of authority in my life? Do I prioritize you above other things? Do I spend time in your presence? Do I realize who you are? Like you made me and you could take me out. Like, you, like everything in my life, everything, like the stars that are hung up in the sky, if I walk around in nature, if I see it, like if you witness the birth of a kid, it's just like, what? Like he made all this is what the Bible tells us. And we ought to have an awe for who he is. This is what Isaiah 33, 5 and 6 says. The Lord is exalted 
He dwells on high. He will fill Zion with his justice and his righteousness. He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. He said, listen, watch this. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. You want justice and righteousness? You want sure foundation? You want a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge? Fear the Lord. That is the key to those things. And I love that. The fear of the Lord is to be in awe of him. It's to honor him, revere him, esteem him. The fear of the Lord is marked by me loving the things that God loves and me hating the things that God hates. And you're like, hold up now. You know, does God hate? Yes. The Bible tells us that he does. He doesn't hate people. So, again, depending on how you grew up, you're thinking of, like, someone who did something to you. You're thinking of an enemy. You're thinking of somebody who mocks God. He loves them all. He loves them all. And, and God so loved the world that he sends his son, again, to die in our place, even when we don't deserve it. Even when we're at our worst, Jesus lays down his life. So God loves people. And you and I, our call is to love people. What does God hate? God hates sin. God, and he doesn't hate sin for the sake of hating sin. Here's why he hates sin. Because it hurts you and it hurts the person next to you. Because you're his kid and he loves you. And guess what? The one that you're hurting, he loves them too. It's like as a parent, like, I'm just thinking about, like, our walk and our flow as parents. Like, you know, Brooke is real meek, real humble, real chill until one of our kids get hurt. And Mama Bear roll up, be ready. It's, woo! She read, like, she's ready to, to come at somebody. So it's like the, it's the, and again, God loves people, but he's like, man, stop. Stop in your brokenness. Stop making people a means to an end. Stop hating one another. Stop hurting one another. Stop, like, this and, and you need to have a right reverence for what God has uh, in store for us. Like, he wants you to be set apart. He wants you to be wise and discerning. And the issue with so many of us is that we love Jesus, but we tolerate sin. I can love Jesus. Jesus is amazing. But also, I really like this, whatever this is. I don't even have to tell you. Holy Spirit already did. Like, like I, I really like this. So we love God, but we're passive, and we excuse brokenness. And, and what hurts others by saying, everybody does it. Everybody watches it. Everybody listens to that. Everybody goes there. Everybody, but Hebrews 1 says this. Hebrews 1, 9 says, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set on you above your companions an anointing by which you will have the oil of joy. So it says, hey, you can be set apart if you love righteousness if you hate wickedness, again, not the people, but if you hate wickedness and God has set you above your companions, anointing you with the oil of joy, your life will be set apart in the area of joy if you love righteousness and hate wickedness. This is what God desires for us. And that leads me to this next one. So God's awesome, but God's also holy. God's holy. Psalm 99.5, exalt the Lord our God, bow low before his feet, for he's holy. And, and I love it. It's just a reminder that God is set apart. He's perfection. He is different. He's on another level. Jesus, when he's talking to his followers, and really he's talking to us about how to pray, he says, here's how you pray. Our Father who's in heaven, you got a dad who loves you, and he's not here. He's somewhere else. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Some of us need to spend prayer time starting there. 
I got a father who loves me in heaven. Hallowed be his name. Spend some time just like, hallowed be your name on your prayer life. Instead of, hey, here's all the list of things I got to hit. Here's all the check. Here's all the punch list of stuff we got. All right, God, we got to do business. We need this to happen. How about let's spend some time at hallowed be your name. Shift my perspective. Give me over to what you want from me. God, give me over to wisdom. Psalm 99, 5 says, exalt the Lord our God. Bow low before his feet, for he is holy. He's holy. And so Leviticus 10, it says this. I love this passage. And, and God speaks this through Moses to the Israelites. Among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all people, I will be honored. And again, it's like a non-negotiable. It's like this will happen. As you approach me in my presence, what you will feel overwhelmingly is just me being holy. And if you read your Bible and you go back to the book of Exodus, this is also why the Israelites run whenever they're supposed to encounter the presence of God. This is the reason why Moses is the one who encounters the presence of God, because they got a little bit too much Egypt on them. And so they roll up and they go, whoa, I ain't doing that. And they all kind of run in the, the opposite direction. But he says here, hey, you will experience my holiness when you step into my presence. And it says this, in the sight of all the people, I will be honored. I tell you, like, the, uh, the moments of my life where it just felt like a tangible presence of God were the moments that felt like it just felt like God's holiness it just felt like I'm in the presence of God and I again I'm a sinner in need of a savior I'm in need of all that you have to offer me I don't belong here and and this just uh, humility marks that moment and that's what God desires for us he he wants he wants us to go all in with our relationship he doesn't want part of you he doesn't want most of you. How many of y'all are married? You married people? Raise your hands. How many of y'all are single real quick? Are you single people? Raise your hands. Take a look. Take a look. Take a look. Take a look. Okay, cool. You're welcome. How many of y'all are married? I didn't even have anything with that one. How many of y'all are married again? Married people? Raise your hand. Okay, so if you're in a marriage, you're in that dating season of life, you're engaged, you're headed towards marriage, but your, your future spouse looks at you and is like, hey, I love you. Like, you're my favorite. But I want to be with you about like 87% of the time. Like, I, this other 13%, there's a few other ones that I kind of like, but I just, but you're my favorite. But like, you know, I just really, you know, and this is what we do with God. Where we're in a covenant relationship with God and we say, yeah, I'm all in, I'm surrendering my life. Man, I am yours, but also I really like this. This feels good. This is comfortable. This is, and he's going, man, would you go all in? Would you go all in? Would you surrender your life? Because I'm holy and I'm set apart. It's not that you have to be perfect. Christ is perfect on your behalf. But what he wants is more for you. So some of our frustrations with the Christian life isn't that you don't love Jesus. You love Jesus. It's that you don't fear God. And so you're like, hey, I don't understand because I love Jesus, but my life is still a train wreck. Because you don't fear God. Right? And so this is what he wants for us. This is Psalm 25, 14. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes this, his covenant known to them. I love this. God talks to people who fear him. So you might have a prayer life, but is it like, how much, I mean, what is he telling you? How much does he talk to you? So the difference, the difference between Jesus and us today is the followers of Jesus look at Jesus and go, whoa, that's different. Like God's talking back. This is crazy. And so the Lord confides in those who fear him. You want, you want God to talk back? Fear the Lord. This is John 15, 14. This is Jesus. He says, and this was sobering, he says, you are my friends. And we're like, yes, 
friend of sinners, we love Jesus, if, conditional phrase, you do what I command. And the thought is, wait a minute. And you read it in context, it looks like this, because God loves everybody. He's after you. And Jesus is a friend of sinners, even before they come to Christ. But when he says, you are my friends if you do what I command, uh, you know those people that you like to hang out with the most in your life? You know kind of your core group of people that you roll with? People that you spend the most time with. People you commune with. People who know intimate things about you, your life, your story, kind of how you're wired. They just know you in a way that nobody else knows you. You know those people? That's what he's talking about in John 15. Jesus said, hey, you want to know me? You want to walk with me? You want to commune with me? You want to be best friends? You want to be in my core? Do what I command. And you will know me in ways that you're never going to know me on the fringe if you just kind of dip your toe in the pool or if you're just doing it 78%. But just like you go all in. If you do what I ask you to do, you will be in relationship with me in a way that you've never been in relationship with me before. And so God is awesome. God's holy. But here's the last one. God's right. He's just right. Because we look at we look at our situation, we go, I know what the Bible says. I know what you're going to tell me. I know what God says about this situation. But, and then we begin to give excuses as to why our life is any different than anybody, anybody else's who's ever lived. But God is right. So doing some self-evaluation and going, okay, what about my relationships? Do I submit and surrender my relationships to God? What about my time? Is it his? Is it mine? What about, what about my eyes? What about my ears? What about my heart? What about my thought life? Do I surrender it? Or am I playing games and then expecting God to break through an area of my life or expect a miracle to happen or expect, and meanwhile, it's like, like think about every spiritually mature person that you know, that you love. That you're like, man, what is it that's different from them? Then like what sets them apart? Why are they heroes of the faith? The fear of the Lord. That's it. And what's so cool is it's like available for everybody. <laughs> Again, God desires to meet with everybody all the way back in the book of Exodus. And Moses is like, I'm going. Everybody else is like, I'm good. We're good. Like, we're just lead the way. Like, and, and, but what he wants is he wants to commune with you. He wants to meet with you. He wants to lead you. This is, this is Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. I've got two more verses and I'm done. Isaiah 66, it says, This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you're going to build for me? What are we even talking about? Where will my resting place be? You cannot box me in. Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones that I look on with favor. Not, not people doing religious activities. These are the ones that I look on with favor. Those who are humble, contrite in spirit, who tremble at my word. humble, contrite in spirit. Contrite means, man, God has read my mail. I spend some time with God and he just like brings me to a breaking place where I go. It's, again, it's the same moment that you had at salvation. It's the same exact moment, but he's just like reminding you, you still need me and I still love you and I still got grace for you and I still have great things in store for you, but it's just a humility. It's a humility. And then who tremble at my word, do I, am, I so, am I so aware 
of the holiness of God, of the goodness of God? Do I have a fear of the Lord that my life reflects it? And I'm being careful in how I engage people. I want to love people. I want to serve people. And, and God has grace in spades. But again, some of us, um, you know, we entertain ourselves with the things that put Jesus on the cross. And so, and we just kind of joke around with it, but it's like Christ died for that. That thing I said, that thing I did, that thing I thought, that place I went, that like that's what Christ died for. And some of us are just like, ah, it's not a big deal. It's like, nah, that's, we're missing it. Like we're missing what he wants for us. He, he wants us in a different headspace. He wants us in the ha- same headspace. Again, we've already taken communion today. Same, same headspace where Jesus is on the cross and he's interceding for the people who put him there. So loves people. Willing to do whatever. This is how much I hate sin. I'm dying for it. And I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. Fear of the Lord looks like dying to self. Looks like dying to your agenda. Looks like dying to your comfort. Looks like dying to your pleasure. Looks like dying to your wants. And it's not that God doesn't want you to experience all that. He does. His way. His way. And so you got to ask the question, God, what do you want from me? How do you want me to live? Psalm 19, 7 through 11, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold. Man, they're more pure than, than much gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. In keeping God's word, applying it to our life, God leads you by his word and by his spirit. And his spirit is just giving you application for what he's already said. He's never going to undercut himself. Holy Spirit's not going to tell you to do a different thing than what he already wrote in the book because he wrote the book, okay? So it's like, but he's leading you. And, and you may be in a position like you're new to the faith and you're like, I just don't know any better. In that simple space where you need wise counsel, you need mature believers, you desperately need a good Bible, you need people in your life who care for you to know what you don't know. Or maybe, maybe you're in a foolish season where you're just deciding to do your own thing. I know what the Bible says. I know whatever. I like, I know the way of God. I know I've always known it, but I just kind of want to do my own thing. Or maybe you're here and you got dragged here by a family member and you kind of mock the whole thing. God sees you, loves you, has plans for you, and it's only him that can break through, I promise you, and he will. But, but what we all want is to be wise, and that looks like, the beginning of wisdom looks like the fear of the Lord. So as we close today, I just want you to ask that question, God, how am I doing in that area? Do I have a right reverence? Do I have an awe? Does my life reflect it? Am I going through the motions? Am I missing out on more? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much uh, for meeting us in this space. Holy Spirit, I pray right now. You just tap the, the shoulder of all who are here. God, lift their head and help them see Jesus. Help them see the areas of their life that you have more for them. God, the hidden things, the secret things, the things we're ashamed of, the stuff we've, we've put on a shelf and, and neglected, the stuff we've dragged around for far too long. Yeah, we've been a fool in that area. 
Help us to go all in. Help us to surrender fully. You want more for us. You want wisdom. You want to commune and fellowship with us at a core level. You want us to know us. You want to know us and you want us to know you. Walk and talk with us in fellowship. You want to know us intimately. If you're here today and you've spent a lifetime doing religious things, but you've never gone all in, fully surrendered your life to Jesus. You lack a fear of the Lord. You lack a moment where you see Jesus for who he is. And, and you, you've never had a moment where you've experienced the grace of God like you're experiencing it right now. The moment of salvation is when you're willing to surrender your life. You realize you're broken in need of a Savior. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, but also need a Lord. So would you rule over my life? Would you reign over my life, God? Would you help me to fear uh, your rule of life and your commands for me? Because they're better than what I have in store. They're better than what I have for, in mind for myself. If you're here today and that's you, with all of our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I, I would love to lead you in a prayer. But Bible tells us it's important to give you an opportunity to confess him as Lord. So your faith in Jesus, his saving work, by the grace of God is what brings you salvation. But the Bible also says to confess him with your mouth that he's Lord. And so uh, with all of our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to give you an opportunity, a moment of confession where you own, man, I'm a sinner broken in need of a Savior. I need to surrender my life to Jesus. So if that's you in the room, would you just lift your hand and say, that's for me. I need to come alive in Christ. I'm tired of doing it my way. I'm tired of going through the motions. I'm tired of baggage and shame and sin. Amen. Is there anybody else? Amen. Amen. Awesome. I see you. That's incredible. You can put your hands down. Maybe you're here, and, and like so many who've been a part of these services today, you just look and reflect and go, you know what? I love Jesus. I love his church. But, man, there's some areas of my life where I'm just a fool. And I know I'm missing the mark on these things, and I've just kind of been doing it my own way and in my stubbornness and my pride. But, man, I just desire to turn back to what he wants from me. I need the fear of the Lord on my life in ways that I don't currently have it. If that's you today, you say, I need more of the fear of the Lord in my life, would you just lift your hand in the room and just say, I need all that. I need what God has for me. Amen. Hands going up. That's awesome. You can put your hands down. Biggest thing is not a hand. God sees your heart. He sees your motivations. He sees your very soul. And in this moment, he'll meet you. If that's you and you have a humble spirit, you have that contrite spirit that we talked about, he just lay down your agenda, pick up his, and just say, Holy Spirit, would you lead me moving forward? God, would you lead me moving forward? If you're here and you, and you are surrendering your life to Jesus, just say, Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for serving me. And now I lay down my agenda and I surrender my life to you and I place my faith and my hope in your finished work on the cross, but also your resurrection. God, would you give me over to the abundant life you paid for? Lead me moving forward. I'm not gonna do it perfect. I'm still gonna need your grace, but God, help me to not uh, abuse it. Help me not to abuse your grace, but actually have a reverent fear and have, a, have an awe for who you are. God, help me not to settle. I really want like an intimate relationship with you. I wanna see signs and wonders. I wanna see amazing things done in my life. I desire for you to do a great work through me. Do one in me first. Same thing for every single member of our church, Lord. Grateful for today, grateful for this moment. Holy Spirit, do things in people's lives that only you can get credit for. Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Let's stand, let's worship together.